when you go through a crisis like that, what you're really looking for is purpose. Yeah. What what are you what value are you bringing to your community to the other people in your life? And I just didn't have any of that. I had almost zero purpose at the time. Hello and welcome everybody to Long Story Short, the podcast. This is a collection of side hustles, cool jobs, and interesting hobbies from your coffee shop regulars. My name is Eric Bush. I am the host of the podcast and the owner and head roaster for Long Story Coffee here in Belleville, Illinois. And I'm joined here with Jordan Bay as my guest today. I'm going to say musical exquisitaire. I don't even know what that word is, but... Did you coin it? I just know. I'm it might say, be the first time it's ever been used. Yeah, we can coin it. We can okay. coin it. Exquisitaire. <laughs> Got it. But Jordan has been a also one of our OG regulars here since opening, hanging at the bar with a, a very commonplace uh, group of friends here. Right. And, you know, as I've gotten to know Jordan, he, I hope you don't take offense from this. It went from, does this man have a job to, oh, oh my gosh, this man lives a very interesting lifestyle and has a good background. Right. Because Jordan is the guy that would be sitting up here in the middle of the day, sipping a cup of coffee, hard at work staring at his uh, iPad. But I was like, I didn't know what he was, what he was actually doing. But the reason it's unconventional, I'll say that it is. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to talk to Jordan is because he has a vast, vast background in music. Mm-hmm. I know just a, a brief overview from what I know. You went to Yale. When you hear someone from this part of the country say, you know, I went to a school on the the East Coast, yeah. they go, oh, did you graduate? Yeah, <laughs> like, I guess yeah, I, I guess that's a it's like a good thing to preface with. Like everyone always says, I went to somewhere, but you never ne- know that they actually graduate. Well, right? and then you have hucksters that'll say like, oh, I went to Harvard, but what they they went to a summer program or something. Yeah. And, so. you know, you don't. But yeah, so you studied music theory yeah. at Yale. Yes, so and... the music degree at Yale is theory and history. It's it's almost entirely based around classical music, actually. But, okay. yeah. And then after that, I know currently you are involved in some local bands, music groups around here. Right. So, so I play bass in a, a band that kind of just got started. It's like a blues band, and we're trying to figure out what we sound like. And, and then you did, yeah. you've done some musical appearances here. You set up some jazz stuff here for us. Right. Yeah. And then you also teach, correct? I do. So let's, let's rewind though. Let's start kind of early right. on. What age, like where, where did you start at? Like, were you, were you little, little baby Jordan there with like the little, colorful keyboard with six keys on it playing as a baby or or where did this all start from well so i guess by way of explaining you know my family background in it my my neither of my parents were particularly musical mm-hmm. although they enjoyed music they didn't play my grandfather on my dad's side of the family played woodwind instruments in the i guess it was the navy band in world war ii so he was a clarinet and saxophone player. Okay. And so I guess that's where it kind of comes from, or my interest in it kind of comes from that. Grandfather kind of like the first like notable, like not just like a hobbyist, but actually like was part of part of something. I don't I don't know. He's back. he's he's the only one that I know of for sure. I'm sure that we you know, almost every every family has musically oriented people. Yeah. Right? Even if it's just kind of tooling around on a guitar. Or something like that, right? There's, there's almost always, or singing, 
there's almost always someone who's musically inclined. Yeah. Right. In your family. But yeah, my grandfather's the 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 first one that I know of that had a, a sort of a job, I guess, playing. Yeah. Right. And so when I was when I was younger, I didn't have I didn't start playing instruments. I wasn't drawn particularly to instruments. I I remember when I was, I don't know, I must have been four or five or something. And I I know I must have been that age because I was still interested in Sesame Street. <laughs> And that'll make sense more when I that was only four or five. You you well, you know, when I when I when I explain it, it'll make sense. Yeah. So I remember standing in my in the bathroom in my house and I was flushing the toilet over and over again to listen to the sound of the toilet flushing. And my mom was like, what are you doing? Right. And I said, it sounds the same as Sesame Street. What? And so but I didn't realize what. You know, I, it didn't occur to anybody what that meant. But what I had picked up on was that the the fundamental tone of the toilet flushing yeah. was in the same key as the Sesame Street jingle. Oh, my right? gosh. So okay. so there, like I do have a natural kind of inclination for hearing pitch or hearing, you know, melody and I'm drawn to it. Yeah. Right? But I didn't really start playing anything with any intent until in in, in Belleville in 118, they start kids in fourth or fifth grade. And so we started on clarinet because that's what my grandfather had you know we had a yeah. hand-me-down clarinet for my grandfather and then i got interested in jazz and so i started playing saxophone in sixth grade to play in the jazz band yeah. and then i kind of just got obsessed with playing and i you know just yeah. before the podcast started i i was talking to you a little bit about some of my some of the ideas that i've developed about how people learn yeah how people yeah how people become in like interested or, or succeed at being musicians yeah and there's the natural inclination that's that's part of it but mm -hmm. there's too much emphasis put on genius or oh you're so talented i hear that a lot yeah and the truth is i didn't really get good at music until i in seventh grade i remember you know we always had family dinner you know we come home from school we do our homework or whatever play video games we had family dinner, and then after dinner, everyone would kind of hang out in the living room and watch TV. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, Friends was like the big show. And but there was I was more of a Seinfeld kind of guy myself. Yeah, but, you know, it was, but it was already syndicated, <laughs> right? So it was not only that you'd have new friends on Thursday night, but you'd had syndicated reruns like every day. And yeah. So that was my sister's favorite show. We would watch Friends constantly, and I remember there was one point where. There was a Friends rerun that I had already seen two or three times. Okay, and I was like, "I'm no, I'm not going to sit through this again. Like, this isn't even a good episode." So I decided I was going to retreat to my room, and I went like, "Well, what can I do here?" You you didn't you have know. a Nintendo sixty four or I didn't have a TV uh, in my room. Didn't have any of that. Yeah, so, so just... like I had my saxophone, and I was you know, so I said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna practice." Yeah, because you know, by that time I had already been in private lessons, and your teachers kind of you know, abscond you for not practicing. They're yeah. constantly saying, well, like, can you, were you, you were what, like seventh grade, you think at this time? Probably. Was it, Maybe. Was it when you're not before jazz or? or... This was jazz. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I don't think if what... it wasn't for jazz band, I, I would have never done this, but yeah. that started a process of going to my room after dinner instead of watching TV, which for anyone in middle school, that's an insane thing to even think about. Like, oh, I can't even imagine. Middle with, school me would have never. <laughs> with, with iPads and the internet and stuff like that, I can't imagine making that decision. Yeah. That was the pivotal decision was, okay, I'm going to spend an hour or two every night actually playing. Yeah. 
And I didn't realize this at the time because nobody explained this to me. But the truth is, when you put time and effort into something over the course of weeks, months, and years, that's when you actually develop skill. Yeah. Right. So you can have an inclination for doing something, but without the effort, there's like the 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 myth of the ten thousand hour rule, right? And that's sort of it's not it's just kind of like an anecdotal, you know, it's not really evidentiary, but it's true that even with inclination, you can fail to develop the skill required to actually be good at what you want to do. Yeah. Right? There's certain things that you innately like like you said, you have to be able to check no tone for music, like you have to hear if something's yes. off off key, off tone, like Yes, I'm sure. And yes, a it, rhythm like you, you can't be one of those people that when the cloud starts clapping together, you're off beat by just a little bit because you can't figure it out. Like, right. So you have to you have to not only have the inclination to know what notes you want to play, what beats you want to play, but then you have to practice to that nth degree so that you rarely make mistakes. And that's where I think a lot of people that's a gap that that a lot of a lot of aspiring musicians don't cross. Yeah, is that gap to nearly pure competence right yeah so, so at that young age were you you said you were practicing saxophone mostly saxophone were yeah. you still doing clarinet a little bit or? i was i was doing clarinet enough to to get very good at clarinet as well uh -huh. but saxophone was was the the obsession right and yeah learning to improvise was the obsession and so you know i i had this they're called play along cds but they're like old jazz standards and they they come up on a CD with the piano and the bass and the drums and you're supposed to learn how to improvise. And I would, if it was a record, I would, uh, would have worn it out. You know, <laughs> it was like constantly on in my room and I was just playing all the time. And this is like, I don't have a musical background. So hearing this is like something new to me of how people, this is how you practice on your own when you're yeah. not like in lessons. Yes. It's not just like you're staring at, at a sheet with notes on it and you're trying to play it, you've got something else going on in the background. W w is it the other like instruments or something and, or even maybe the same instrument and you're trying. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So music is not just about what you're doing. It's about how, what you're doing blends with what everyone else is doing. That's, and the more musicians you have in a group, the harder it is to keep everybody together. Right. Yeah. So that's for the first few years of what almost everyone is doing. And we can get into this later. Being, <laughs> being a music teacher, I thought a lot about this. But the first few years is just making sure that everyone is together, and you're narrowing, you're narrowing the the ability for the for people to express themselves and saying, "I want you in this really narrow channel." Yeah. And then once they get competent at that, you go, "Okay, now let's widen that out again," and say, "Like, where can you can you pull a note out of thin air? Can you play this rhythm and and generate emotion mm -hmm. in your audience from that?" Right. So then, so middle school to right. high school, did you did you continue with? Is jazz kind of the been the main focus? Yes, yeah. So I didn't practice enough in high school, but I also got interested in other things. <laughs> Puberty hit. <laughs> so one of my favorite stories about my dad. My dad was always very supportive of me musically, and one of my favorite stories about my dad was when we went to high school. We went to to meet the band director Tom Berkner, who is a mentor of mine at Belleville West. And he said, he asked Tom for a private teacher recommendation and said, I want, I want, I want Jordan to, to keep working on this before he gets interested in whiskey and women. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's like, that's, 
that's a core memory that is always gonna i don't remember my dad saying this this is one of my one of dr berkner's favorite stories to tell about my dad is this but but it's true (laughs) after a year or two i started going okay well music is cool but there's a lot of girls in theater but I mean, didn't and you there's always, a lot of girls. Didn't you know, you always I mean? hear the rumor of like what happens at band camp. Like, <laughs> I wish, dude. I, isn't that like a common like? I never had that experience. Oh yeah, but I'm saying, yeah. Like, I feel like that's a a phrase that you you hear, yes. you know, in in the media and stuff. And it's like your dad wasn't like, hey, stay with band. Well, <laughs> so I mean, I, I'm not gonna say it yeah. hindered me in any way, but the truth is, the band kids are usually the nerdiest. Hardest kids <laughs> in the school. They're the ones that like because you care about because you have to. You have to step away from the TV and video games and friends and yeah. go in your room and play. Yeah, play and, music. and to actually succeed in band in high school, you have to care about the result. Yeah. If you, I mean, and and that's anathema to anyone who doesn't care about school. That is the fundamental principle of not caring about school is not caring about what results you're getting. Mm-hmm. The people that are good in band are obsessed with the results. Yeah. Right, they want the result to be pristine and perfect and and exact, right? And so that crosses. That's just a. So did that cross over into your schoolwork? Were you like a straight A student? I was obsessive. Not I was not obsessive about school, and I I don't think I was challenged enough in high school. To be okay. frank, the public schools here are not challenging enough to the top students. But I was obsessive enough to worry about getting straight A's and. and but then that allowed me to do a lot of things like the literary magazine, the newspaper, the theater programs, the you know the math club, all of that stuff was yeah was part of it too. Were you the kid that when you you know you brought CDs home, was it all jazz and classical, or like were you listen you know did you still have a normal like music childhood of like I was listening to hip hop and rock and R and B and things right. like that? A lot of my interest in jazz was actually down to the fact that my parents would take records away from me if they thought they were unseemly or so my parents were not religious but they had a very like fundamentalist point of view about dirty words or suggestive sexual thing yeah so for example i had blood sugar sex magic from the red hot chili peppers when i was in eighth grade I don't know. I don't remember. Idol alone, they let you. Well, no, I don't remember when I bought it, but as soon as my mom found it, it was gone. Yeah. Right. And it was the same thing with Nirvana. Never mind. I had that record that was taken away from me because there was a naked baby on the front. I had, I remember I got, I convinced my mom to let me buy Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Amazing record. And I was playing it for her on the way home from the store and she took it away. Oh like popped it out yeah. like right there. I got like, like two songs into it and she was talking about like scratching her nails down someone's back or whatever. My mom was like, nope. Oh, <laughs> so, so jazz became a really easy compromise, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I can listen to interesting and high quality music, but this is not going to trigger the parental yeah censorship alarm i mean did that continue into like late high school too or was there a little bit of like opening up no there was opening up you know there was i mean once i hit once i was able to drive i kind of was able to escape that kind of puritan-esque you know (laughs) censorship or whatever i can put any cd i want in this (laughs) yeah and then i got interested in other instruments and and this is something i noticed a lot in my in my students as well my best students are constantly interested in other instruments they just stick to one thing typically though yeah because you were So it started clarinet, saxophone. You know, there's this like glorification factor of like playing saxophone and then you go, okay, well, what are the girls actually interested in? And yes. it's guitar. 
So I bought a guitar with some, you know, summer job money and started trying to learn that on my own. And then into high, into college, I was trying to play and I was trying to write music and play in rock bands and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So how does one just get into Yale, especially for me? Like, I feel like, you know, that's one of those schools that you hear and it's what, like a dime a dozen. So, I mean, did you always know you were going to go to Yale? No. Was that an idea in your head? And were you studying and working towards it or? No. So that's, I don't know how interesting this is, but I'll tell it anyway. It's okay. I I think that there is an aversion in the Midwest to success. When I was in high school, okay, so I I had two older brothers growing up who are quite a bit, there's a big age gap, like 14, 15 years, but both of them were National Merit Finalist scholars. And it, just to explain that really briefly, a National Merit Finalist is someone who took the PSAT, the pre-SAT yeah. exam and scored in the top one-tenth of one percent for the state yeah right? so it's like the elite test takers basically it's not necessarily the best students or whatever but those who succeed at the tests the best and historically there's been a a lot of colleges will offer really pristine kind of scholarships to attract those kids and so both of my brothers went to university of houston oddly enough i mean we're in st louis yeah they go to university of houston on a a fully paid scholarship. So they, they went for free. So there was a, an expectation that I would do well yeah. at those. But I think it's more than that. So I I was also a National Merit finalist, and I did extremely well on the standardized test. But to get into a school like Yale, you have to, you have to have great grades. You have to do extremely well on the test. But you also have to have a lot of leadership in things that are outside of school. Like they want to see a whole resume of like, right. you, you, so I was done more than just high school. Right. So I was an all-state. I was the all-state saxophone player. I was the best one in the state. I was the second best one in the state. The other guy in the combo was great, too. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say I was better than him, but I was yeah. real good. But I was the editorial editor of the newspaper. I was the... Poetry editor of the 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 poetry magazine. I'm looking at the hat you you always wear. Well, you... I I actually quit Boy Scouts. But oh, I just, okay. I found this in my parents' house, but <laughs> said I really uh, like the hat. The I was a an officer in the in the Fespian troop, and, and so on. I mean, there's more. You know, yeah. I can't even remember what all the stuff that I was doing. But that's that was the critical part is that they see you take leadership roles, and so for anybody who wants to go to an elite school, that's important. Right. Okay. Take leadership roles where you can. But when I was applying for schools, my guidance counselor was discouraging me from applying to Yale and other. I also applied to Stanford. I didn't get into Stanford, but she she was like not interested in helping me. She was discouraging me actively from applying to schools like Yale. But why is it because they just like you're you're not going to get in? Why even do it? Is that the sort of? Yeah, it was it was actually, I think, very problematic. And I wonder how many people could have gotten into schools like that that were discouraged from applying. Right. And so but what happened was I was going to go to University of Florida because at the time they were offering the best scholarship. Okay. And my what happened was we had to pay a 40 or 50 dollar application fee just to get the scholarship at U Florida. Yeah. My dad was upset with that. And so he said, well, to hell with this. If you're going to if we're going to do that, you know, you're going to pick an, an Ivy League school and apply to that and see if you can get into that. Too. Yeah. We're going to spend our money on an application. You might as well. Right. Go go for gold. There was never any there was no long term interest or idealization of those schools. Mm -hmm. I didn't 
apply to Harvard because I didn't want to. I didn't want to say that I went to Harvard. <laughs> that that was like so. There's like two. Like, oh man, people people are gonna think I'm. I, I didn't want to go to but... Princeton because I didn't want to go to New Jersey. So it was like Yale or bust, I guess. And so I applied to Yale, regular decision, and I got in. And that was a surprise. Yeah. I mean, what is that day like? Like whenever you're sitting there as a as a. Well, we got the big envelope, and my dad took me to Denny's. And we opened it up and it said you got in and, uh, you know, wait, wait, was it like a we're going to prepare you like we don't know if this envelope is going to say yay or nay. Like, we'll just, you know, it was probably a bad thing because I was already kind of conceited and kind of big. I had big a big ego in high school. And that was probably the worst thing that could have happened. <laughs> if I had been rejected, I'd be like, OK, well, let's focus on the work and not so much how special I, I am. We're crying at yeah. Denny's and nowhere yeah. else. Yeah. 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 So that's, but that's how you get in. And yeah. I, I think in some cases it's a roll of a dice. A, a school like Yale has demographic requirements. So that I was the white middle-class Protestant background kid from the Midwest that they were going to pick to fill out their diversity quotas. Right. Mm, so yeah. I had, I had roommates from, you know, Long Island and Karachi and Canada and, kind of, kind of and like Manhattan they and kind of make a LA and the, yeah. the whole group of right. of them because it looks looks good when they take the group photo. So I was the Midwest white representative and I had a friend from Albuquerque who was Hispanic and yada, yada, yada. You know, yeah. So, yeah. So then is there when you're going to study music, right? Is what what's like the spectrum of it? Like, do you does everyone start with music theory or? How how does that look when you're because you knew I'm guessing you knew you wanted to study music by the time right. you're going to Yale or no? Did that come out of later? I did. Point? I did. Did you have another passion or or a thought of where your well, life would be? I mean, I could have gone into to anything and probably been fine. I was I was fine with math. It didn't interest me. If I went into a different discipline, it probably would have been history. Okay. If I would have been smart, I would have studied economics. The only people that succeed coming out of an Ivy League school are economists. Yeah. Not the only people, but that's <laughs> the easiest way to succeed. And me and medicine, right? But yeah. I was not interested in medicine. That was, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, I. so that's an interesting thing. So there's two ways to go about studying music. One is performance-oriented. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a symphonic or player or session musician or something, you can go study and there are performance oriented schools that everyone's heard of like Juilliard, Berkeley, North Texas. Even me, I'm like familiar with some of those. Right. You know the names, like, yeah. right? And and I should have gone to one of those schools in hindsight. Huh? And I, I don't know if I just wasn't I didn't ask the right questions or if I wasn't advised properly, but I, I didn't. I went to Yale and Yale is one hundred percent theory, history and academic oriented they yeah. don't even have a jazz program which was just goes to show how little i actually researched they don't have a jazz program so you, did you get there and you were like man <laughs> it's kind of like that but so I, but i went through the program anyway and they had unbelievable faculty i i don't regret going there i mean I'm probably pulling from some of the best professors you know in the country if not the world right like yes people... in their particular disciplines absolutely they're on the cutting they're on the bleeding edge of art music and composition mm -hmm. and i i had fantastic actually the best thing about it was the the other undergraduates that i went to school with because for the first time you kind of step into this but a lot of my friends at yale and my classmates had gone through prep schools particularly in new england and so they're with other elite students throughout high school if not before that yeah. they're prepped 
for that kind of success. I, you know, that was the first time for myself that I was with exclusively gifted students and right they like here comes this midwest farm boy coming there was, there was enough of us there was enough of us that that didn't that didn't really factor in okay. i mean i had some really elite extremely wealthy friends whose parents were top echelon people who owned banks yeah people who had you know multi-million dollar apartments in manhattan yeah but there was enough of us that were from more average backgrounds that that didn't really factor in and so That's i had always a popular, amazing friends yeah. And the the there was no there was no apparent separation in terms of class there. I'll say that. So did you as you were studying, did you do any performing at Yale, too? Like I tried there, to. Yeah. Were there because you said there was no jazz there? Yeah, we did played you, in it. We had a jazz combo, but there was no academic jazz. OK. Yeah. So you, um, was this all stuff run through the school then that you were able to join or did you, did you have to create your own? Most of it was creating my own. Yeah. And so when you go academically into music, it's all about the classroom. And so they have a, a strong classical background there. But that's, you know, they, they, not, not to get too deep in the, into the weeds of that. But the, the, the way the music school is set up at Yale and it's at least it was. I don't know if this is different now, but because they had a, a big they were trying to get more musicology, world music focused at the time that I was going to school there. But the the long and short of it is Jewish immigrants fleeing germany before world war ii the composers in germany yeah but and germany has the greatest classical music back history of any nation right yeah if you name a lot of the greats there a lot of the teachers and composers in germany were jewish and that's a long story but that's that's one of the one of the few like vaudeville and music was one of the few things that jewish people were allowed to focus on in any case when they were fleeing from Germany, they a lot of them ended up in New England and they set up the music schools yeah. at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Dartmouth, all of those schools. So it's a very classically German oriented <laughs> music program. So what so, so going from that, like studying on the classical side, like did you have any background on classical music or was this like you were you you know you you had your your interest i'm assuming still in the jazz and everything like that and you yeah. started to kind of veer towards like learning all of your classical i mean i was i was a skilled clarinetist in classical music but it wasn't my interest yeah and so i did the studying i did the work but I was more interested in the world music, the musicology. I was more interested in, they had a lot of electric classes where you were allowed to kind of compose and use electronic music. And so that was, I kind of focused on that and I skirted through my theory and history classes. Yeah. You know, just, man. So, so I mean, what is a lot of that like studying background even look, look like too? Like what, when you have a class, what do you, what do you, are you just learning? Is it like a history class except focused on music? Well, in theory, you... in theory classes, you're taking, you know, symphonies and you're breaking them down and figuring out how they were written and okay. why they sound the way that they do. And so you've got, you know, uh, 20 or 30 part scores and you're, you're looking at how this particular composer split up, you know, note by note, every, every beat is a chord. Every, everything that's played is, is a, a full set of I mean, uh, notes that work in tandem. Symphony size. 
I mean, does that is that oh. very greatly like or it varies? So, I mean, you know, like we, with the ones you're studying, I mean, we, about my favorite my favorite units were Schubert's because they were always smaller groups, and he did a lot of he did a lot of vocal writing. Yeah. But like, what's a smaller group on that end? Five to fifteen pieces. Oh. Yeah. You know, maybe five to ten voices. And so then you've got all of those that you're breaking down each individually. So you're looking at the whole. And then even on the small and you're looking at five to 15. You're sort of looking moment by moment and going that that chord is this. And yeah. that's how it relates to the other moments that are adjacent to it. And that's also how it relates to the entire the key of the entire piece. Yeah. And what's really interesting to me about music theory that I didn't realize until about halfway through my studies was that music theory is entirely retrospective. It. It has so when when the composers that you think of being famous Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, Chopin, when those guys were writing, they were writing to the tastes of their audience, and the music theory came later to yeah. explain. So you can sort of imitate what they were doing by using the theory that has been created from studying their music. Mm -hmm. But this is why AI isn't good yet at writing music is because theory is not enough of a framework. It's not enough of a palette to actually create something that's artistic. Fluid right? and creativity is like right? just... And so there's that that other part that there's the cream on top of the theory where the art comes in yeah. that is a je ne sais quoi, cannot be replicated. And that's that's where you have the individual contribution, right? And then like you, as you were saying, like a lot of these classical composers and stuff, like they were this was all new like there was nobody they weren't looking back and saying and doing what you were doing and saying i'm gonna put a piece together based on these theories this was just like what i'm hearing in my head and i'm right they would have grown up learning the famous pieces of the people that went before them yeah and so they would have had that framework in their head but it's really the process would be no different from people on the cutting edge of composition today, someone like Jacob Collier, who is taking what jazz and R&B and blues and funk did before that and kind of trying to trying to recreate that. Let's see if I can like Spend use a reference for like a, let's say a, a kitchen reference on that yeah. end. So it's like there, you, you might know a certain style of food, like you can study like what, let's say New Orleans food is. Sure. And you know, that this is the basic composition, like this is what makes up most New Orleans dishes. But like, and you could you could program something in to recreate a dish that's New Orleans quotation. But you still you have people that are in that kitchen that are learning from other chefs, and then they're taking that and they're putting their own twist on it, and they're creating yeah. something new from that. Like, so theory is like knowing what the ingredients are for jambalaya. Yeah. Making jambalaya is way more complicated than just knowing what the ingredients are, right? Yeah. And making and making a, an average jambalaya might be within the reach of almost everyone who who studies it enough. But yeah. making a new type of jambalaya that is true to the heritage but also unique, yeah, is like rare, right? Yeah. So it's that's similar. Yeah, that's okay. a good analogy. Yeah, perfect. Okay, yeah, I want to yeah. make sure like where I'm on the same page mentally and. Food is an easy way for me to go for that uh, <laughs> reference, right. but right. So how how long were you at Yale? Did you, you you do an undergraduate and graduate program there? And no, I did undergrad four years. I got out. I stayed out. <laughs> I did not want to go. Or a Yale graduate, right? <laughs> and right. then from there, what um, identity crisis, confusion, 
not knowing <laughs> what to do because when you graduate with a college degree in music theory, you're not exactly inundated with job offers. Did like while you're going to school, did you always have people asking the question like, "What are you gonna do with nope. your life? Where are you gonna go?" Like, I did not, and I, it would have been helpful actually. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I, I remember seriously. I remember senior year. I had a friend who was studying economics. The aforementioned guy whose dad essentially owns a bank, and he was going to these job fairs at at school, trying to get you know get a job with uh, Google or with you know. And I'm like, why would you do that? It's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> and now you're like, okay. but I graduated. I didn't have a plan, and it actually caused a ripple effect throughout the next several years of my life, where I was taking jobs that. I mean, I think you you kind of meander your way through and you end up where you end up and I'm glad that I'm where I am right now, but yeah. I didn't I didn't ever get that like excellent job out of school. I didn't do that. You know, I got average jobs. Did you like coming out of school then? One of your did you what was one of your first like music oriented jobs? Did you My, Well, I so I I started by essentially managing a music store, an instrument store, and I was doing fine in that and I, and then I started I Switched jobs from that. I worked for a law firm for a while as a paralegal, and I wasn't good at that. And then I went back to the music store, and then that whole time I was trying to write music. I was playing in different groups in Austin, and and had a lot of big ideas that that didn't come. So were you living? Were you living away from here then? Where I lived in Houston for a few years, and then Austin, Texas. From 2008 up until 2016 or 17. What brought you back? My mom has had Alzheimer's. Uh And it was a matter of... My my father passed away in 2015, and it was a matter of necessity to come back here. And so I was looking after her for a long time. Okay. And so that brought you back into the area. And then Mm -hmm. doing the music store thing in Texas. Right. Came back. Did you stick with music like immediately when you came back? Or what, what did you... I think I spent I spent a while trying to find my feet. I I think I was pretty depressed at the time. Yeah. And having not succeeded in business or, you know, jobs or whatever, the the delusion that I had that I was special had like totally evaporated, right? It's just like, well, that's not working. Whatever you're doing is not working. You're yeah. not getting promoted. You're not getting the nod from the higher-ups, you know what I mean? So Yeah. Then it was a, a lot of searching, a lot of soul searching, a lot of digging into my own personality, finding weaknesses, making adjustments, trying to figure out what was going to provide. Because here's here's the problem is when you go through a crisis like that, what you're really looking for is purpose. Yeah. What what are you what value are you bringing to your community, to the other people in your life? And I just didn't have any of that. I had almost zero purpose at the time. So looking after my mom, who was terminally ill, was a the was foundation one, of the purpose. One purpose that, yeah, you, you could hold right. on to that. But. Right. And it was extremely challenging. And I wouldn't change anything about it, but it was very, very difficult. Yeah. You know. And then were you teaching? Because I know right now you're you're teaching at a school, correct? Or... For a school, but I teach. With- <laughs> I teach. So I teach uh, music lessons at uh, Carriel Middle School for the D nine O'Fallon D ninety Middle School students, and I teach at Accent Music Lessons in Swansea. Uh huh. And and I came to that after my mom. After my we we had to put my mom in a nursing home, mm-hmm. and then it was almost a year before I really figured out what I needed to do. I spent almost a year after my 
because there was so much emotional, I'm not going to say damage, but there was so much weight yeah. on me from that experience of trying to, you because you're trying to take care of your terminally ill parents and there's intellectually there, you know that there's nothing you can do to improve the situation. Yeah. But you still absorb the responsibility of the, cause it's a failure. Yeah. Over time. It is Alzheimer's is a failure over time. And you know, irreversible. you know, it's coming and there's you no know it's coming about it. Like, but you still go, well, I, we can slow it. We can, we can, make yeah. It we can and, make it easier. And every inch you take toward the inevitable is very emotionally difficult to yeah. deal with. Right. So after that, I spent almost a year kind of wallowing and not doing much of anything yeah. productive. I started teaching and did that start that sort of saved me emotionally and mentally. Where did where did you start at? Did you start like did you did you get a job with somebody or were you just doing privately? Because I, I think you were explaining to me another day, a couple days ago, about the whole thing of like to get lessons you need to be at somewhere to get recommended and then how that works. That's helpful. So, or, right. or did you did you kind of just put yourself out there on like Facebook and say, hey, like does anybody need music lessons and here I am or did you go and start well, working with somebody? So I knew a couple of the band directors around here. The the guy at West, I, the guy teaching at West currently I went to high school with fantastic mm -hmm. trombone player named Michael Pond Jones and I went through uh, the the Band director at the 118 at the junior high level, Tony DiPasquale, I went through his band program. So I reached out to them and asked them for some recommendations. I started teaching at a place called Melodic Rhythms in downtown Belleville. I've seen it. Yeah, they got the big graffiti art on the back yeah, of the building. And ultimately ended up with some some disagreements with, with their management and ended up switching to Accent Music Lessons. And I, I can't say enough, enough good things about Accent, but my first student at Melodic Rhythms I still have. How how many years was that now? That's been three or four years now. Because what happened was she started band at in Freeburg, and they and then they kind of cut, pulled the rug because of COVID. Yeah, and so all the kids that had started that year just got their toes wet, and then there was no band for like a year. And so their parents sought out some private lessons, and she started taking lessons for me, and and that sort of saved me in a way at the time. I was trying to create a business where I was building decks and and repairing patios and stuff, and so yeah. I I taught myself how to do that, and that's one of the one of the best things about kind of having that time is that you can teach yourself how to do stuff. So I I taught myself how to build decks, and I did that for a year or two, and just to kind of keep some income coming in, and but then I I eventually gave that up because I was making more money teaching. Yeah. Was it more fulfilling as well? Is there? Oh, I I could teach if I could teach all day every day. I would I would love it. I mean, I really do. It's yeah. not that it's it's frustration free, but I love the process of the, it's that it's the light bulb effect when you are able to teach somebody something that and then it clicks. It's amazing. Yeah, and teaching has also allowed me to kind of codify a lot of the things that I sort of know about success, about hard work, about work ethic. Yeah. In a way that I can explain it to other people. And when you can do that, you can start to apply that to your own life. So it's not so random. It's not just by virtue of luck or, or just a fortunate coincidence. It's you are choosing to succeed rather yeah. than being lucky in it's, something. Right. 
it's really easy. They always say like the, the easiest way to learn something is to teach somebody else that thing. And is it kind of like a, you're teaching these practices to these kids that are involved with music and you're seeing how you can reflect it upon your own life in a way of like, right. I'm and telling these kids that they need to be working hard if they want to be better at this and they need to be studying and they need to do, you right. know, have a better lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle. And then like, why, why am I not doing this? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you become hypocritical, right? But yeah. also uh, just, you have to get better yourself. I have students that are pushing me. Yeah. And so I can't just sit there and, and ride on my coat on the coattails of my previous work. Yeah. It's like, con I'm constantly working. Well, cause music's constantly evolving too, right? Sure. Like there's, there's yeah. that, but like, what do you, so what do you teach mainly? Is it any, in like, are you, can, can you teach any instrument? I can teach a lot. Of, I could teach saxophone, clarinet, flute, guitar, bass. The vast majority of my income, and we'll get back to, <laughs> of my income is from trading, stock market trading. Yeah. One of the odd things about having taken care of my mom when she was sick was that my brother was her power of attorney. And my brother and I, over the course of the last several years, have developed a way to invest her money in a way that's really profitable yeah and so so now that my mom has passed and we we split the inheritance between my sister and my brother and myself we're all kind of doing this method and it's it seems like at any point like the rug's gonna get pulled out from under us like it can't be this easy it can't yeah be this simple but we're generating a lot of profit and then, doing this but it's a job for you yeah so. i spend about 20 to 30 minutes a day doing it yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're going to really quickly get to the point where we have. And so this is where the next 10, 20, 30 years of my life is going to be planned out. And assuming I can continue to be successful doing this, this has provided a reachable purpose for me that I can't wait for. So yeah. I have a lot of idea, big ideas about things that I want to do. One is a singer songwriter sweepstakes. But so I'm, I'm trying to come up with things that I can self-finance. Yeah. Right. Until they become profitable. But that would be, and I have, you've met them. I, so I have a jazz combo, the, basically the best musicians that stayed around here. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of Muscle Shoals. There's a really famous I've... recording studio in Alabama, and they got really famous in the late 60s and the 70s. Okay. And so one of the and there's a great documentary about them and it's sometimes on netflix but look up muscle shoals if you can it was this guy and these local musicians in nowheresville alabama it's very similar to around here yeah but these guys became famous for creating a unique kind of pocket in music we call the pocket the kind of the way that your band sounds in time Mm -hmm. So like Motown has a pr specific kind of feel. New York has a thing. Nashville has a thing. Well, this yeah. this place in Muscle Shoals, Alabama got really famous and they w attracted Aretha Franklin and the Rolling Stones. And that can be done here, too. Yeah. One of the, the best things about this area is that the cost of living is very low. I mean, we are, and, and we're, we have a music background nearby. We're close to Memphis. We're close to Chicago. We're close to Kansas City. We're close to blues, Nashville. Right? Or St. Louis is one of the homes of blues, and it's it's kind of got this 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 jazz and blues background that's dilapidated and ignored, and it should be revived. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the things that I want to do is a singer songwriter sweepstakes, where we take 
We take submissions from songwriters from around the country who are not signed yet, right? And who are looking for a leg up. And we create a video, like blog, podcast thing where we bring them into the studio over a weekend. We do an EP where we learn the songs on the spot with the live band. Okay. And then we record live like they used to. Yeah. In Motown, in Muscle Shows. And then we release that. And maybe we start with just one song. Maybe we can get to the point where we can do three or four songs at a time. As but you, then you get into a flow of how to yeah. how to do it all. But, but then by the end of the year, we have the LP of all the songs that we recorded, and then the sales generate income for hopefully for, and then we generate no, notoriety to get these people signed or whatever. Yeah. So that's one of the ideas. That's, that's, that's called. It's going to be called Songwriters Non Anonymous, and we started that idea with. A, a singer-songwriter out of Austin who now lives in Atlanta, who's the fiance of one of my best friends. And her name is Kay Astra. K-A-E Astra. That's her stage name. We'll make sure we shout her out. At the... So look up her music. Yeah. But we did that for her as kind of a prototype. And this was years ago. This was before COVID. And then COVID kind of ruined it. But then also I realized we needed a lot more funding for all of that. But anyway, not to get too far into that. Yeah. So. So what you're doing right now is a as a day day trading in the mornings and stuff like that is is to help fund one of that. If I can create a self-generating revenue stream, then I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And that's the idea. And then so how how often are you teaching then? Well, your... I teach like 3 or 4 days a week. Yeah. I uh, know, I teach I teach 5 days a week now. Only oh. only 3 or 4 hours at a time, but it's 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 my thing that keeps me sane, grounded. Yeah. <laughs> And the kids are awesome. I love working with the kids. And then how, I mean, so you, you've got this group that's put together. I know you guys have performed here three yeah. or four times now, I yeah. say. And then part of that, the genesis of that is really to give my talented and hardworking students more of an opportunity to play with really great musicians. Which is one of the coolest things, you know, when when you're here and you guys are playing and I look over and there's 15, 16 year old kid here with you guys. And yeah. they're just doing their thing, and they're they're keeping up with everybody. They, right. they blend right in, like. And every moment is a learning opportunity. And what I I truly believe that in order to get better at music, you have to play with people that are better than you. Mm-hmm. And when you're that age, if you're at the cutting edge of your, if you're already the best player in your band, yeah, then you don't have that opportunity. So you have to play with like older people, right? Yeah. When I was in eighth grade, I was playing with a an adult big band. Yeah. Just to get better. I mean, because... You were like, I I got to keep up, and so I got to work harder to keep up with these. Yeah. And now that I look back on that, that seems totally asinine that I would be playing as a junior high kid with this adult big <laughs> band, but it's I think it's really yeah. critical. Yeah. And because, I mean, I know you had a, a gu- guitar I have player. a guitar student in eighth grade who's self-taught, and he's a, he's a monster. He's going to be a monster if he would practice what I give him to practice. And <laughs> he's kind of stubborn, but he, yeah, no, he's yeah, a great which kid. Which is part of the side of learning. He's about a great no I, kids, right? No, like, he, but he's a great kid, and he's and but it's not just him. It's I have five or six kids that are like that that are really eager, and I want to give them as many opportunities as I can to like push themselves. So yeah, yeah. One of my favorite things about jazz music, in particular imp- improvisation, is that it is constant failure. It is mostly failure because what you're hearing in your ears, John Mayer has a great quote that happens after one of his performances where he's like frustrated after the performance, and, but everybody loved it. Yeah. It's not a great, and the cameraman's like, why are you frustrated? He said, my, my ears are always better than my hands. And the, nothing truer has ever been said about music, particularly improv- improvisation. 
everything that you hear, you're trying to grasp and play. Mm-hmm. And most of the time you're failing. But improv is a a way to generate failure that is valuable. Every time you fail when you're playing music, you're creating value because yeah. you're teaching yourself. Uh-huh. And so if you are naturally autodidactic, if you're naturally self-teaching, yeah. improv is, is one of the most fundamental parts of music that allow you to do that every time you do it. And every time you play, even if the audience loved it, like the last show that we did here, yeah, the audience was having a good time. I hated most of what I was doing. <laughs> Just because like- You it, didn't show it. You didn't, you, you, you hit- your your reaction yeah. ball then, but because you, you know I could have done that better. Yeah. There was something that I heard that I didn't quite get, mm-hmm. but that's that drives you to generate more. It drives you to keep yeah. working, right? It's that crazy thing of like I said, sitting out there on my end of things. I was like, this sounds great. This is you know, yes, wonderful. And and so in your case, you self taught coffee roaster. Yeah, doing. And self-taught, kind and of self-generating business. I, I, I guess I do the same thing. I'll pick apart my my coffees. Like people will come out and they'll drink something. They'll be like, "Oh, this tastes really good." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, there's this note on the back end that I noticed that I don't yep. really like, or yeah. I was looking at my roasting profile and I wish it, I would have, you know, done something different on this end of it." And yeah, you're more that. self-critical probably than than most people would just say. Yeah, that was a nine out of ten, man. That was great. And you're like, "There's ten things I would have done differently." <laughs> but the critical point is that you never go so far into the self-criticism that it causes you to freeze up yeah. and stop, right? And so that's that's the beauty of improv music is that it is it is a it's permission to fail. Yeah. What's what's the hardest part about your day? Like <laughs> Is there is there anything? The hardest part? Yeah, it's it's mostly just self criticism i i was that is perfectionist. What we were talking about i was perfectionist growing up and it's very difficult to get out of your mind sometimes right you yeah. have to find things that you allow yourself to fail at so that you can improve okay what uh i mean on the music and what what so what are you what are you currently listening to what are you well jacob collier was that's i mentioned him before i think yeah. he's unbelievable i think he's changing music i've I grew up not listening to very much pop, and now I'm like obsessed with pop music. Like, so not like, all pop music. It's like is Ariana Grande playing in your car whenever you're driving around. I don't or? listen to Ariana. I think she. I mean, she's hot. <laughs> I don't listen yeah. to a lot of her, but there's occasionally there's there's pop music that is just so perfect. Have you like can, uh, can a you lot appreciate... of Dua Lipa stuff is unbelievable. So can you appreciate that side of music a little bit more now? Yeah, like, you think yeah. like you. Yeah. A lot of people, I I would assume. There's like melodies and rhythms and things like that that are naturally just appealing to the a person that you don't know why. I would assume there's a lot of songs that I listen to and I'm like, I don't know why I enjoy it. I just do. It sounds good to me. Are you able to kind of like look into that and be like, you know, oh no, I see what they did here. Like I see, you know, they're they're using these instruments or this rhythm or these beats or like things like that. Like, does that ever play in the back of your mind or is it just, no, it's just good music? Well, okay, so... Because you were just mentioning like Dua Lipa and things like that. I have multiple answers to that question. I mean, so <laughs> in the jazz end of things, I will obsess over a solo for years. Years and years and years. I yeah. will obsess about a particular solo. As in like you you have your favorites, you study it. Oh, yeah. Like, what's your what's They'll your favorite? They'll play over and over my head. What's your what's what's one of those? Can you just give us an example of one of my those? My current favorite is Miss Baja by Kenny Garrett. Okay. 
but there's i mean i i can give you a list of 50 songs yeah. that are just unreal but another one is uh, what uh, cannonball Adderley did on autumn leaves oh my god <laughs> see these are all things i'm going to have to look back off the chart it's check, off the check chart them out, but but like so can you notice that in other genres of music of like what you enjoy yeah with pop things? music i was kind of snobby for a long time and what brought me back around to pop but i loved hip hop i w- i've loved rap since i was like 18 or 19 or 20 people are always like surprised to hear that is, i'm like dude that- Hip hop and rap is is just an extension of is jazz that more and blues. Like a lyrical thing, or is that also the the music composition? I mean, I I love I love clever lyrics, but I also love the way that each each great hip hop artist has a voice and a style that's sort of like improv. I mean, when you're when they're putting together a really great verse, it could be something as simple as something like. A, I mean, I don't know what what Snoop Dogg might normally do. A very simple, but just perfectly timed yeah. you know verse yeah or something as complicated as somebody like talib Kweli, who will within the same verse put stuff both ahead and behind the beat in the pocket yeah that's just like jazz i mean just as complicated just as rhythmically complex as anything any jazz musician has ever done which is like things like i i mean i love talib Kweli. yes but i don't know I couldn't tell you exactly why. If somebody's like, "Why?" Well, I mean, I like it's because he can start. He can start a single phrase ahead of the beat and end it behind the beat, and, and you're like, I, I, "You, you're able to recognize, and you're like, yeah. man, that's like that's yeah. impressive." And I'm like, I don't even think about that end, like without being musically inclined or music background on my end, you know. So that's it's kind of cool to be able to look and and see those like behind the scenes on your end of that that most well, people can't notice. One of the things that led me to obsess about pop music in the last few years probably is playing more bass mm-hmm. so playing in a blues band and bass being getting more obsessed with the bass but also just knowing what it takes to create a perfect a no mistakes a no issues recording yeah self-encapsulated perfect recording it doesn't happen very often even the best producers will have elements that aren't exactly right yeah but then you listen to it's Dua Lipa don't start now or don't okay that's perfect. That is a perfect recording. <laughs> I seriously, I, there is not a single beat. Nothing in that is imperfect. And then when you're listening to bass, like someone like Lizzo, for example, mm-hmm. the bass players that they hire to do those studio recordings, they get no credit. They come in and they do like one or two takes. Yep. And it is the, it is just cooking. It is the fundamental part of like a Lizzo song yeah, like you, you can't have these this pop stars like none of these people would even be famous without some of that. them might be like okay there's some like, <laughs> some of them might be and a lot the best ones the ones that stay yeah write a lot of their own material but there is a magic that's involved in putting it together on tape that is just as much art as being able to play the part yeah. typically on the first or second but time. I mean like I do you know I've seen videos of like old school, like Jay Z and things like that. Of them, they'll they'll do the verse, and then with like a simple music in the background, like the yep. simple beat, and then all of a sudden the producer comes in and they're like, "Yo, here's everything added in." And even yeah. Jay Z's like, "Whoa, like yeah. I didn't know, I didn't like this is great." Like it's one of those things where you know that's and those people, as you said, they don't really get much credit. Like I couldn't name on my end, I couldn't tell you all the people that helped work on those. Like I couldn't tell you who you know did 
Well, probably the most famous producer is Kanye West. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he started as a producer, right? Yeah. And, and yep. he was good enough at rapping to kind of create his own thing. Yeah. But also, the reason Kanye is so successful and so is because he's the best producer in the world. And so, like, when he takes his own best beats and then makes a record out of it, yeah. you can't ignore it. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Right? You listen to his records front to back, I'm and he's sure. changing things about the game, See, well, changing things about the genre that are, you know. I, I had the opportunity to listen to him while your parents were taking those CDs away growing up. <laughs> no, and I, yeah, I grew up loving all that stuff too. It's just not only the lyrics, but the background of the production of everything too, yeah. which is awesome. And yeah. so the other thing that I constantly tell my students yeah. about improv, about writing music, about anything musically oriented, is that what you're trying to do is figure out how to make an emotional connection with the people listening. It doesn't really matter what you do that's technically brilliant. If you can emotionally get the attention of people that are listening to you, then you're going to succeed. Yeah. So you can do the the simplest of things, but as long as as long as you have that emotional grab. So sometimes we obsess about like in jazz music, we obsess about the technique, the well, playing fast, playing a lot of notes, mm -hmm. and it's almost always that's just the the middle ground to what's actually interesting about the music right so yeah now let's i mean i'm gonna ask you about the common trope it, are you ever too old to learn an instrument no like a easy answer no okay like what, what you're too old to do is be an expert or is no. that not true no no no, 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 no. <laughs> what you're too old to do is obsess over something naively so adults are very self-conscious typically, mm -hmm. compared with children. Yeah. Children will obsess over something and they'll make as many mistakes as it takes oh, because we, they don't care. We fear failure. 100%. Adults fear failing. And so they start playing an instrument and I have several adult students and the best ones are the ones that don't care what they sound like now. They just keep trying. Okay. But most adults are like, I don't want to practice because I don't sound very good. And then they put it off. And you're like, of course. Did you think when I was a little sixth grader in my room playing, like everything sounded perfect? Well, the, <laughs> the secret is, the, the, truly the secret is, there are some times where I'll play a, a set of music and I'll like one or two of the solos that I did out of like two hours worth of work. Yeah. Like this last show that we did, I really liked my solo on the last song. That's it. I enjoyed everything too, else. But I also like, enjoyed all of them. Everything but, else I mean, was like, you know, yeah. but that's the thing that, if you're an adult and you're starting out, you have to allow yourself to fail and not care. Okay. Because, I mean, I will tell you, I have always wanted to learn how to play the violin, which I think yeah. is very hard to do. I mean, but I, I would assume that all yep. all instruments are difficult. Yep. I, I'm sure there's a scale of, like, easiest to hardest instruments there, and I think violin is probably, you know, on the more difficult it's and tricky. simple. Yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, but you're saying that if I sat down and put time into it and got a teacher and practiced and stuff like that, that I could at least be mediocre in my life at violin. You have to get to the point of knowing that every time you fail, you're learning. And every time you don't fail, you're playing something that's too easy or you're not listening. Well, the other thing is we need to make sure Audrey, my wife, knows this too. If I start picking up violin and practicing because 
when I start failing, she might not agree to keep trying. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Audrey, but no comment. <laughs> yeah, I need to, it's okay. He'll he'll get better. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm not going to tell you how long, but it, it, it eventually. Well, no. The the really the important key is that you will always know that you're not very good, but other people will go, "Oh, he's getting really good." Yeah, and you'll be like, ah, "I'm not that good," and other people will be like, "Man, you sound good now." You know? I, I listened to you when you first picked that thing up. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to run out of the room anymore. Yeah. So, no. Okay. That's it's a good thing to know because, I mean, and you teach adults as well. Do you have a few adult oh, yeah. students? Absolutely. That have like that. It wasn't just like I'm I'm repicking this instrument up. Do you have anyone that are like want to learn an instrument or no? Is that rare? I have one that started from scratch and I have one that has been messing around on guitar for like a couple of decades. Yeah. And. In both cases, you know, the one that's been playing for a couple of decades has the right attitude. Absolutely. The one who just picked it up is, I think, discouraged by the fact that your ears, like I said, your ears are always better than your hands. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get over that hump, right? Yeah. Like, look, it's okay. The important thing is that you try every day. And you, you, you'll you get better. Yep. So very yep. cool. Well, as we wind down, first off, huge thank you. Is there... Anything you want to shout out? Any any people? Any projects you're working on? Any you know? Any businesses? Anything that in your mind that you're like, I want to shout this out, let people know about it, drive them towards it. I guess if if I ever get that project, that songwriters non anonymous project off the ground, I hope that people will come back to this and not if you mean when because the, the genesis of that was like 2018, and yeah. it's been a long process of trying to figure out, well, how the heck am I going to actually get that off the ground? And we're five years later, but I'm still passionate about it. I think it could be amazing. It will. I mean, it will eventually be amazing. It's just a matter of me figuring out how to actually yeah. do that. And please don't steal that idea. My other idea is we got it on recording, so my, we, we have. Yeah, but nobody's going to watch this until I get famous doing it. The, the other, they're going to be like, "Oh, Jordan, Jordan yeah. Bay, that guy. He did a podcast." Yeah. The my other idea was to do an Anthony Bourdain style TV show, but instead of world cuisine, it would be world music. Whoa. Okay. Where you travel and you meet musicians and then you jam with them. And I think maybe Dave Grohl had something similar to that. But, but so if Dave anyone, if anyone wants role, to so. bankroll that for Jordan and pay for him to travel. I'm going to try to self-bankroll, man. Yeah. That's, why, that's why I've been doing the quintessentially Yaley thing and learning self-teaching finance. Right. So, yeah. yeah so, that's the idea. Cool. I mean, anything else you're working on right now or? No, I mean, no? just try to get better at jazz guitar. <laughs> so if you are you know, interested in, say someone's listening and they're interested in like, hey, like I'm I'm looking for help to, to a music teacher locally or get into music. Call, like Call Accent Music Lessons. I think it's 618-222-0100 or something. We can, we'll, we'll verify. Yeah, they're online, it. Accent Music Lessons. But, or you can find me on Facebook yeah. and send me a message. What about any anybody maybe locally that's looking to play with a, a group? You, you know how to help people with that around around the area looking for maybe a jazz group that they want to be a part of reach out thing. to me yeah so find me on facebook and send me a message if you want to because well the other thing that i want to do is set up a, a monthly or bi-weekly bi-monthly jam session where we do a couple hours the first hour is is just my core crew and then the second hour is opened up to people that are trying to learn how to improvise yeah very cool very That's cool so, do, so we'll definitely make sure people know how to get a, get a hold of you on that end of things but no, and you can also find Jordan hanging out at our bar with his buddy Sam, usually, sitting here at the coffee bar, 
Yeah, and order co- <laughs> order coffee from Eric. Yeah. Long story. <laughs> and on an occasion too, you'll hear him jamming out when we do some of our industry nights and other fun things. We just had him here for our Christmas party, and we love doing it. Phenomenal! If you want to hear some of the best best jazz that you can around Thank St. You. Louis and Greater, yeah, I, I I don't care what you say about it, but if you want to hear some of that, look. Look no, I for think it. we're really good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think we're really, yeah. really good. Oh, yeah. It's just I know where we're not that good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So, but if but any, any honest that, jazz musician would say the same thing. I think we're really you good. You could find them performing here over at Long Story, which is great. So, big thank you once again, Jordan. Appreciate it. Yeah. It thanks, was fun. For, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, thanks. Oh, Jordan Bay. Jordan Bay. <laughs> so yeah, B-A-Y. if you're looking for him, Jordan Bay, we'll, we'll shoot a link over for so people can find you on social and stuff yeah, too. Thank you, Eric. Thanks. 